get the free ebook of Fallow's origin story, Caverns of Mizzentine, at ericedstrom.com slash getfallow. The link is in the show notes. Support the podcast by buying a copy of this book, The Raven Throne, by Eric Kent Edstrom. It's available on Amazon, Nook, Barnes & Noble. No, Nook is Barnes & Noble. Kobo and Apple. Also available in paperback. Chapter 17. Lucky to be incidental. The library felt very small to Henley, despite how large and empty it was in the wake of Fallow and Quinn's departure. The fire didn't seem to heat the air, and its flickery glow reminded him of the great dining hall of his father's great house. What a sorry state he'd fallen into. It burned in him not to be free to help Kyla, though there was little he could do about it. But if he had gone, he would have drawn the wrong sort of attention. Rajan didn't look any happier. He had taken a vow to be Kyla's partner in study here at the Baths. The two had even briefly shared a room. Henley could tell by the look on Rajan's face that the vow was the least of the things that pulled Rajan after Kyla. He was quite obviously smitten with her, as Henley had been, for a day or two, after they'd become friends. But he'd quickly realized that Kyla would not settle for someone like him. Henley was practical, like his father. Kyla was a reef he had no intention of foundering upon. Besides, he was at least a year or two younger than she. But Rajan was just her age, and he came from a family that still possessed a great fortune. If things could be sorted out between him and his horrid father, perhaps Rajan would provide a life for himself and a lively young woman. But it wouldn't be Kyla Sai, Henley thought. She was Dem Kisk. Henley shivered and moved to stand before the fire. Kyla and I climbed up that chimney, Rajan said. I haven't had a moment of happiness since. Escaping the baths was not one of Henley's problems. It didn't make him feel any better about his predicament, but the need to leave weighed upon him fiercely. He had been held captive before, albeit in a smaller cell but that had birthed in him an incredible desire to be free, to go and do what he wanted. And that was not to be. Not until he mastered this cursed mercosine power that had infected him like the thinny plague. Rajan, come with me, he said, the idea and words rising in him at the same time. I'm going to run for the docks and buy passage out of Starside. I'm going to the garden, where the Hargath won't be able to touch me or even feel my presence. I'll learn what I need to learn, and then I'll sail west. I'll never come back here. Let the others worry about Kyla and the doom she's going to bring to the city. Rajan didn't answer. There was a scuff on the tile behind Henley. He turned to discover the voluptuary had come in. Rajan still sat on a chair, face now a bit abashed for not warning Henley of her arrival. Henley supposed that the wily woman had signaled for Rajan to remain silent. Voluptuary, Henley said, nodding with respect ingrained by long years of training in etiquette. I am relieved you are going to the garden, she said. Rajan will accompany you. I anticipated your eagerness to leave us, so I have bought berths for you upon the packet ship Flyer. She handed him a small pouch. Coin for your admission fees to Ori's home. Beware the dockside men who will claim to guide you. They are acolytes of Till, 
placed there to mislead new arrivals to the way of Till. If you make that mistake, you will soon be delivered back to Starside in chains. Madam Voluptuary, Regent said. He was standing and trembling. I strenuously object to being sent away. Kylasai is my partner. I so vowed in your presence. To abandon her would be to my shame. Do not order me to leave, I beg you. You have never understood that vow. I say yet again your vow was to Ori, not to Kyla. To be her partner in all things does not mean you must follow her off every precipice from which she chooses to throw herself. The path you were to take together as novitiates was one of learning, not adventure. And do not allow yourself to think Ori is blind to your circumstances. I keep you from running into senseless danger by forbidding you to leave. Now I protect you and guide your development by assigning you to attend Henley on his voyage and studies at the garden. It is my prerogative. She pointed a finger at him. You will go. Besides, you need distance from Kyla. You're besotted, and that makes for poor judgment. Besotted? I am not. Rajan, Henley said, denying your affection is more embarrassing than admitting it. Spare us the discomfort of hearing your denials. You make fools out of all of us otherwise. In this, I agree with the voluptuary. You would do well to come with me. Besides, you do not want to be here when things get worse. And believe me, they will get much worse. The voluptuary raised an eyebrow at his prediction, but she did not contradict him. Nor did she question the source of his certainty. And she didn't need to. She was a wise and intelligent woman. Surely she could see that doom approached for all of them. I have one more task for you both, she said. It will not be pleasant, but it is necessary. She made a twitch with her fingers, and Finta's song stepped from the shadows between two bookshelves. The ancient healer held the end of a chain in one gnarled hand. It dragged with a metallic rattle across the tiles behind her. She called softly and pulled on the chain. A dark, slumped form lumbered forward, a deep hood concealing the figure's head and face. The chain rose to the opening of the hood, presumably fastened to the person's neck. The sight of such treatment of any man would have horrified Henley, but to see Finta holding the chain made him swear. The voluptuary said, you will escort this man to the garden. Once there, you will turn him over to those better suited to looking after him. Yes, the chain and collar look brutal and wrong, but it is necessary for his safety and that of everyone around him. Fascination drew Henley forward. There was something familiar in the man's stance, the way his great, all-concealing cloak draped from his ham-sized shoulders. A flare of firelight, caused by a sudden spark from the logs, glimmered from eyes set deep in that darkness. Henley didn't need to see more to know who it was. Where did you find him? he asked. Yika discovered him in Terracide, trying to break into a vacant jeweler's shop. A great fortune that she did, for he bore a great hammer stolen from a blacksmith. Intended for Kyla's skull, no doubt. A flush of guilty heat rose in Henley's chest as he wondered if it would not have been for the best if Yeeples had succeeded in killing her. 
Why a jeweler's shop? he asked. The voluptuary frowned, but offered no answer beyond a slight shrug. Finta handed him a leather satchel. Feed him one dose of the bolus every morning and one at bedtime. Do not miss a single dose. Make him prove he has swallowed it. If he refuses, force him. Get a handful of sailors and tie him to the mainmast if you must, but get the bolus down his throat. Surely a man must be treated with more dignity than this, Ragen said. Even one sick with madness would benefit from more compassion. The voluptuary nodded. Saying that does you great credit, Reginald, but you are wrong in this case. He is quite mad, and like you, he needs great distance put between himself and Kyla Sai. Why, who is this man? Henley gripped the bag of drugs Finta Song had given him. It's Dun Eeples, the man who taught me that Kyla is Dem Kisk. At the words, the man drew back his hood. His eyes widened, and he looked all around. Dem Kisk! he rasped, throat unable to muster more volume since he had ravaged it with his endless ravings in the cell next to Henley's. A line of drool dangled from his lips. Then he's to flames. His eyes locked onto Ragen's. He pointed a trembling finger at the lad. You, you were there. Demkisk, tell them, tell them. Then he's to flames. He stumbled forward, fists clenched. It seemed he battled the drug that kept him weak and docile. Finta watched warily. All at once, the fire faded from his eyes, and he fell into a confused stupor, panting and looking vacant. Finta drew his hood back over his head, concealing his pathetic and flaccid face. What a terrible long fall he'd had from his post as a donesmaster to the houses of Grissonside Radiance. Henley suddenly felt a bit better about his own sorry state. I don't plan to become a novitiate, he said. I must be forthright about this. I go to the garden merely to serve my own interests. I have prepared introductory documents you can provide to the voluptuary there. I am also arranging for a fast carriage to whisk you to the docks. I do not want the donesmasters getting a whiff of you in time to snare you. To assist us, I have asked Finta to prepare you a draft to dull your marcosine sensitivity. It should conceal the depth of your abilities. Hopefully, the Hargath and his more sensitive donesmasters will think you are a minor new awakening. They will dispatch someone to seek you out in the morning. But by then, you'll be gone. Finta presented Henley with a small vial of black liquid. Drink. It will make you sleepy. The effects will last a few hours. By then, you will be well beyond the Hargath's reach. Henley didn't require any more convincing. The burden of looking after the madman was annoying— but he saw true compassion in it. The way of Till would simply give the man over to the Hargath for draining. Perhaps in time, Don Eples might be cured. Won't kidnapping a don't's master raise tensions between the ways? Rajan asked. His posture told of someone bracing for a long argument. He didn't want to go, and he didn't plan to. But Henley knew that he would lose the argument. Rajan was a rule follower, like Henley had once been. Astute! the voluptuary said. That is why you must keep his hood up when you arrive at the garden. He studied there many years ago, and it is certain someone would recognize him if they saw him. And what about Huff? Henley asked. He will be welcomed. Prejudices at the garden are not the same ones as here in Starside, 
But beware, for though the garden prizes study and knowledge above all things, people are people, flawed, venal, and often rash. Most will never have seen a bonded cat. Take care that they do not make you the subject of lifelong research. Give me the leash, Henley said. His chest felt made of stone, though his heart thumped harder than usual. He would do what was necessary, one foot in front of the next. A long path to freedom was better than no path at all. He popped the cork from Finta's vial and swallowed the thick and bitter liquid. It was oily and clung to the back of his throat. The effect was immediate, a total numbing of the murkus and the senses. His vision grew darker, his hearing muffled. In all, it was a pleasant feeling, for it numbed his fear, too. You should have made some for Ragin. His heart is breaking. Someone must stay alert, the voluptuary said. It falls to Ragin to bear more than his share of pain. That is life. Henley called to Huff. We are leaving. Where are we going? Somewhere safe. Sens Rena hustled in, her placid face flushed from exertion. All is prepared. The carriage awaits. Rajin accepted a satchel from the blonde novitiate girl, Daria. Warm clothing for the journey, she said. And your things. Rajin accepted another satchel without enthusiasm. He looked especially pale, his light hair turning a fiery orange in the firelight. I protest. Your protest has been noted, the voluptuary said. You are going. Henley had not said goodbye to Fallow, just as he hadn't had a chance to say goodbye to Wen before he died. Or to his father. He owed his survival to Fallow. And they had become the best of friends. But Fallow would understand. He didn't need Henley anyway. He gave Don Eppel's chain a light tug and strode out of the library. Ragin trudged after him. Huff joined the procession, stalking along the wall and keeping nervous note of the many feet coming along behind. They were soon in the carriage and on their way, Atlans pulling for much more speed than was safe in the city. The carriage wobbled and swayed every time the driver took them around the sharp turns of the switchbacks. I woke up this morning thinking it would be a normal day, Ragin lamented. Had I known I was bound for a sea voyage, I would never have gotten out of bed. He did look miserable, but Henley didn't feel any responsibility to cheer him up. There was nothing to be cheerful about until the ship cleared the harbor. And even then, it would be two months at sea. A refreshing voyage for Henley, but he had a notion that Ragin had never been to sea despite coming from a shipping family. Finally, he said, Henley Mast and Reginald Keel setting off on a sailing ship together, just as our fathers did so long ago. I read a history once that claimed time was a wheel, the world a great tapestry where heroes are born, fight, die, and then are born again. Perhaps we are part of that. Ragin snorted. What makes you think we're heroes? I just get bossed around no matter where I go. If it wasn't my father, it was my brother's. Now it's the voluptuary. I don't remember any of the heroes of the Time Wheel being bossed around. You have a terrible memory, then. Don't you remember the woman who was always tugging her braid and being furious with the three heroes? Rajan let a mournful smile curl one side of his mouth. Yes, I suppose I do, now that you mention it. But we aren't like those boys. 
We are incidental to the story. Carlisai pulls people into her chaos region. Believe me, I know. It was my urge to go looking for her that got me caught and imprisoned. Consider yourself lucky to be incidental. And if we are truly favored of Paul, we will hear of her battles a long time hence, after they are all resolved. He leaned back in his seat and closed his eyes. The drug Fenta had given him was making him sleepy. Why does what's good for me have to hurt so keenly? Rajan said softly. Dunipples moaned and rattled his chain. A soft whisper came from deep in the hooded darkness shrouding his face. Damn Kisk. Then he's in flames. <laughs>